Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes. Enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello and welcome. It's your Weekend Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Gabe Lezra, from a really shockingly cold Washington, D.C. I guess not shockingly. Um, I am joined by Keon Savani. Keon, how's it going? I'm great. It's also shockingly cold in Madrid, by the way. And it's... Uh... I find every time I'm at the Bernabeu, it's either freezing or my my scalp is burning from the sun. And <laughs> yesterday, my fingers were so numb, I couldn't type on the laptop. Uh, and then, like, until the game started and Florentino turned on the, the heat for us, and it was, you know, it, was, it got a bit better. But I like awesome. I like the idea of Florentino not, not having the heat on <laughs> to try to get the, the people to stop writing so many tweets before the game starts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're also, and so obviously Keon is in Madrid. You got to see the awesome, awesome, wonderful match from this weekend. I'm also joined by Om Arvind. Om, um, so I, I understand you didn't watch the match live. Yeah, I didn't. And I got a lot of abuse for that, not because people were mad that I didn't watch it, but because they were like really happy that I didn't. So I got a ton of messages that are like, don't ever watch a Madrid game ever again, or like go support another team. <laughs> obviously, most obviously mostly tongue in cheek, but like it was so many that I actually made a video of it, and like yeah. But don't you have I a mean, track record for this? Like it's happened before or something? Yeah, yeah. Not really. I mean, it's like it's kind of these like select moments, right? Where it's like, oh, I jinx the match, and it's really just chance, and people have decided to pick on those moments, and it's like a running joke now. That like I constantly jinx Madrid, and then if I watch a Barcelona match, Barcelona win, even though Barcelona win like ninety five percent of the time. But 
you know, it, it's funny, so I play along with but it. But you do have this voodoo <laughs> thing about you where, you know, the, the Sergio Ramos article, uh, ever since you gave our tactics away to the, our opposing coaches, everyone has marked Ramos out of the game. On Yo, it's so good. The the abuse that we got after we put that on Facebook is so funny. <laughs> there were some people who were actually really mad about yeah, that. Like, we got some legitimately angry messages about people, you know, asking us to stop giving Real Madrid's tactics away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was referencing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we've got a very good match for Real Madrid. Unfortunately, they did not pick up um, any points on Barcelona, who won. Two nothing against Villarreal um, in Villarreal, so fair enough. Uh, but yeah, great match from Madrid with a depleted back line managing to hold Sevilla to zero goals. A, a Sevilla side that, let's be clear, is still a good attacking side despite despite their obvious defensive issues. Um, and then putting five in with a brace from Cristiano Ronaldo, which is also awesome. Yeah, I mean. I was actually a bit shocked how bad Sevilla were. Well, I mean, we, we knew they were having a bad season. Um, but they had started to show signs of life. And I don't know, it kind of like was one in hand in hand with the same time, around the same time, Berizzo announced publicly that he had, he was, you know, was battling cancer. Um, and I don't know if it was a thing that just kind of uh, lit a fire and the team said, okay, we're going to do this for Berizzo. I mean, then you have all these distractions with Enzonzi wanting to leave and uh, the team all of a sudden, you know, against Real Madrid, they looked shockingly bad. I mean, Nolito was was a black hole. They had like a couple moments in the first half where they tried to grow into the game. They got the ball out wide to Jesus Navas um, and that lasted, what, like five, ten minutes? It was crazy how bad they were. And defensively, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, it started what... with the first goal, Nacho. I mean, it was, it was a bit shocking. I mean, it was shocking. And what really like stood out to me was how much the the second Madrid goal, the first from Cristiano, really just broke their spirits, and they just kind of lost all interest in, in even trying to get into this match. Yeah, I mean, it, I thought, see, when I was watching the match, and I was uh, obviously watching it on replay, so I didn't have as much emotional investment, and I was just like just looking to see what the tactics were and everything. So like the opening. I mean, it's like, I think the Nacho goal really kind of just flattened them. Because um, I was actually impressed with, like, the first 20 minutes of what I saw from Sevilla in terms of their pressing. And I wasn't necessarily that impressed with what we were doing because I thought we looked a bit sloppy and disconnected in the final third. But I think the Nacho goal, which came really early on, you know, forced them to really come on to us. It forced them to, to pressure us very high. Um, and then... All it took was one chance, right? We had this beautiful sweeping move through their press that resulted in a Ronaldo goal, and I think that just completely deflated Sevilla. That along with, you know, because I'm sure the Nacho goal was in the back of their minds, right? It was just really horrible defending, and right. it, was, it, was a re- it was a lucky goal, essentially, and then that combined with the really, really beautiful goal from us, that deflated them, and simultaneously... Everyone just seemed to be lifted. After that, we just started playing so well. And I thought that disconnection I saw, it changed. Everyone started to understand where everyone else was moving. And, you know, when you combine that with a Sevilla side that felt that everything was going against them, it was pretty easy to see how they collapsed. Because I, I think I think that shows some mental weakness, right? Because they shouldn't necessarily collapse because of that. But they did. They just simply gave up in, in a sense. I don't think they really just gave up, but... 
their their quality of play subconsciously dropped because they felt like everything was against them and they knew they weren't going to win. And then it just became too easy for us. Yeah, and this is kind of a symptom of kind of the larger illness that has been plaguing this Sevilla side this season, where they, you know, when they when they go down, they go down really hard. Like they allowed, you know, six plus goals to you know to to, to a Russian side in the Champions League. Like that's not that's not something that is an elite team does. Uh, so like it, it's the kind of you know. They go for it, and they're they're capable of these historic and monumental like comebacks and and putting a bunch of goals on the board. But when it goes wrong, it it just seems to all go absolutely catastrophically wrong for the Sevilla side. And as soon as they they felt it turning against them, you could kind of tell that this wasn't going to be one of the nights where they're gonna gonna put up a huge fight. Yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, go ahead, Um. Um. Yeah, and I just wanted to say because. Um, like the way I put it, it sounds like I was like pretty critical of our performance, but no, I thought tactically we're actually solid. What I was, um, criticizing is that like, essentially because I, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but in like the opening 10 minutes or so, it just looked like our chemistry was off a little bit. You'd see, you know, Ronaldo try to play a one, two with Asensio and Asensio wasn't making the kind of run that Ronaldo wanted. And then passes were just kind of missing their target because players just didn't seem to understand where the other player was running. But I thought tactically, because I, I don't know how much that's something Zidane can control. I mean, I think there's a little bit he can. But when I, when I speak tactically in terms of structure, I thought we were all right. Because it was a 4-4-2. It, it wasn't a diamond or anything. I think Asensio roamed a bit. But generally, we had our wide players kind of stick to the flanks and, and move into the half spaces. And our fullbacks moved up. And we had the two central midfielders who generally kind of stayed. Uh, they held position. And that kind of stable structure helped us grow into the game. I, I thought it also helped us a lot with Sevilla's press because, as I mentioned before, I thought it was good in the beginning. But we had Modric and Kroos who were moving in between the lines um, of Sevilla's initial block really, really well, receiving the ball and then you know pinging it out wide. And, and we had players nicely spaced so that we could pass our way out of Sevilla's press with these nice you know 10-meter balls all across the pitch. And it was really right. nice to watch. And and that's kind of what I've been talking about before, right? Like having a, a stable structure so players know where to pass the ball. They can kind of intuitively move through, you know, the opponent's defense and work their way towards goal. And I thought as we grew into the game, we, we saw that a lot in the first half. And it was it was something quite aesthetically pleasing to watch. I wanted to like, touch on something both you uh both both of you guys said one was Gabe talking about Sevilla and just kind of like the state of them this season and for large stretches of the season Barisa just had no idea what his starting lineup was and even like two players who are probably their two best players this season Joaquin Correa and, and Banega just weren't even starting consistently you had uh, moments of like you know Ganso being the guy then Pizarro sliding in and and to me, just nothing was clear about what they wanted to do and who they wanted to use. And it was clear to me like they just were not able to adequately replace Jovetic. They weren't adequately re- able to replace... Uh, who, my God, who was... I'm blanking on the other guy they lost last season. Um, okay, it'll come to me. But at, at any rate, like I think they just... It's it just not clear to me what they're, what they're trying to do. And, um, and then at Om's point about how it like started the game... Even after Nacho's goal, I felt like we still really hadn't seen how the 
any foreshadowing of how the game was going to be played out because um, Sevilla were still trying to grow into the game. And Real Madrid, right before Asensio made that, you know, created the second goal, there was definitely a period of stagnancy. Like, we didn't really have a clear way to, to plow through. We were kind of just recycling possession and it, you know, it kind of looked just uh, unimaginative. And Asensio gets the ball and all of a sudden he just, he, you know, he drifts centrally and shows us an outlet and he turns and he cuts through. He just goes and he kind of breaks the, the traditional method of our, our passing structure and, and, and just tries to create something on his own. And Sevilla at that point just completely were not expecting it. And, they just they couldn't close down the pass to, to Ronaldo, and I thought that was such a key moment in the game where Asensio just turns on the switch, shows in that left, drifts inside from the left wing, and I thought it was that moment that really Sevilla just started to crumble, um, and and the game was changed a bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I mean, I also want to um, mention something that I I, I think I said um, after the match was over, but. It's something that I think is important to mention in this type of match that Madrid managed, I mean, like I said, Madrid managed to keep a, a clean sheet against the Sevilla side. And if you look at the passing network, Ohm, you're absolutely right on. Like, this is a very stable, you can tell it's a stable formation just by looking at these passing passing maps because you actually can see the 4-4-2 structure, which is not something you can see all the time in you know tri- the the diamond especially where you'll have Isco in some random position and you know it, it kind of changes game by game but in this this one is very clear that there's two central midfielders with Modric a little bit playing behind Kroos and then Vasquez and 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 Asensio on the wings and Cristiano and Benzema a little bit ahead of those two so like it's it's actually quite cool to look at um but I, I wanted to mention on top of that that I think it was very cool. And Ohm, you did a video about some of this, but how, how impressed I was with um, Jesus Vallejo and, and Nacho. Once again, man, Vallejo really just proving his absolute class and just putting on, I thought, a masterful performance through the whole match, just like with his interceptions, with his tackling. He's just he's just an absolute pearl, gentlemen. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I mean, that's just basically a spot-on assessment I, I mean, a lot of the discussion, obviously, about this match was about our attackers, right? Because we scored five goals. Um, but I made the video on Nacho and Vallejo because I felt their their match was just... It was almost perfect, the, the way they played throughout the game. Um, and I thought that was worth noting. Because, right, because, like, you know, oftentimes we forget about our defenders and, and, and how hard of a job they have. And I thought, especially because we were so worried about not having Varane and Ramos... That was worth talking about how well they played because they made us forget about that worry completely. And I was, I'm was i especially interested with what I've seen from Vajero this season because I remember saying on an earlier podcast, or I, I think I at least remember, I think I remember uh, saying this, is that I was worried a little bit about a future Vallejo of Iran partnership because I thought they were too similar and that... I, I said that Vallejo would kind of need to step up into that Ramos role a little bit if if that partnership was going to work. So he would have to be more aggressive and step out of the defensive line while Varane tried to sweep up behind players. And everything I've seen from Vallejo so far this season is that he's very comfortable in that role. Either Zidane's told him yeah. to do it or he's just automatically doing it. But he is using his superb anticipation and matching that with a far more aggressive aggressive um, mindset than what I saw with him in the Bundesliga. 
And he's really stepping out and, and taking his game to attackers at every opportunity. And it's, it's taking people by surprise because attackers will move in between the lines. They think they have a lot of space. And then either before they receive the ball or when they receive it, Vallejo is just right behind them, hounding him, hounding attackers. And he's either going to clip the ball away from an attacker or intercept a pass. And it just allows us to win the ball back in yeah. situations where you don't think it's obvious. I was totally. I was, and, and yeah, go ahead, Gibson. No, no, I mean, whatever. I mean, like, I'm happy to let you chat, Keanu, but I, I just think it's borne out, right, in um, <clears throat> Madrid's, you know, the, the, the way that they, so what you were saying about, you know, Vallejo closing people down when they've received the ball. So that is borne out in the, not necessarily in the number of shots that Sevilla got, but in the obvious bad quality of the shots. So, like, every single one of Sevilla's shots essentially if you look at this data, it was from, despite being from, say, a good position, was very clearly a shot that where the where the player was very closely covered. And that is borne out when you take 11 shots but only have an ex- expected goal of 0.36. That is a, a classic understanding of, you know, a, a well-played defensive game in terms of just hounding players and, and making sure you have bodies in, in between players when when they receive the ball. And on top of that, you know, just the, the ability that Vallejo has to kind of bait uh, a, a kind of a, a, a bad pass that's mm-hmm. slow and on the ground and then sneak in, you know, as soon as he sees the ball played, he starts running at the attacker and and to lift that ball out from behind him. It's, it's almost the best understanding of this kind of anticipation that I've seen uh, on, on almost any level. I, I can't remember a player who's quite as good at, at this particular aspect of, uh, of defending as him. He, it's really uh, uncanny. And I would say, I think Busquets has a similar thing as a center midfielder, but like, that's amazing as a center midfielder to like, a, like one of the greatest center defensive midfielders. Of course, he's going to know how to intercept balls, but Vallejo like combines his you know strong ability to tackle with on top of that a absolutely uncanny ability to read where the ball is going and get there before the attacker. Very impressive. I was pleasantly surprised when Om cho- chose to do his kind of tactical post game video on on those two on two central defenders because when I mean, you look at this game and you and you and you see like what the headlines are, it's the counter attacks, it's the oh, Real Madrid finally scoring, it's Ronaldo finally scoring in La Liga, it's you know the team finally played really well. Um, at home even and um, and maybe like the stuff that you guys are talking about kind of gets lost in the shuffle because all the attention is on the other side and I, I was kind of I was you know I was pleasantly surprised to see Holmes tactical video um, I think it's interesting to point out like we you know you talked Om about the the Vallejo Varan partnership and, and you worried about that you know I think the unanimous main concern was the Vallejo and Nacho partnership um, heading mm-hmm. into the season, because we saw how Bayern hurt Nacho on set pieces in the Champions League. We've seen Bayern hold the way he defends crosses in the Bundesliga, and you pair them together, and you know you you just kind of sweat a bit. I think, I mean, while it was a good trial run, uh, in my opinion, we still didn't see Sevilla really test the two. Um, yeah, you know, if I'm the opposing coach and I see those two, I'm 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 kind of making it a point. Although, but like. Again, it's not like Sevilla played even well enough to even execute any kind of game plan. But they went and tried to go down through down, down to the middle. And this is kind of bread and butter stuff for Vallejo and Nacho, too. Like, they combined for nine interceptions. 
Vallejo reads the game masterfully. We know this, and his he can distribute. He's, he's very comfortable coming out of press even. Um, but Sevilla just didn't really test them on terms in terms of set pieces or crosses or anything like that. And, you know, I'm almost cautious because on one hand, I think just Sevilla were bad, <laughs> like in so many ways, and mm-hmm. they could have tested right. Real more. On the other hand, it's not fair to to Real Madrid to take credit away from them because I think they were they were, they played really well. Uh, having said that, regardless of what it was, I think it was mostly Real Madrid playing well, and the timing was great. We are heading into the Club World Cup, which is terrifying, and I almost just I I hope it, I just wish it didn't exist. But um, we have the Clásico as our next you know kind of official game, and and when you look at the calendar and you're like, wow, this is great timing. Yeah, I mean, uh, you just mentioned how I was talking about the Varane Vallejo partnership. I just want to clarify that when I say that, I'm talking about like in a post Ramos era. So I wasn't necessarily talking about like this season because obviously the Vallejo Vallejo Nacho partnership is um is more concerning. Yeah, and uh, I would also note, I mean, Keon, this <laughs> this worry about the Club World Cup is not misplaced. Like this is a historically a terrible time um, for the, the. It's it's arguably why by itself why the. Um, European champion has never repeated until Madrid last year, right? Because on top of all the other stuff that goes along with it, everyone trying to beat you, and also that it ha- does take some luck to become the champion, you also have to do this stupid tournament when every other team is getting a good break, you know, or like just continuing their normal rhythm. You have to fly somewhere and play this stupid tournament against teams whose entire goal in life is just to play you, even if they're way worse, and try to beat you and hammer you physically is the best way to do it so it sucks and then on top of that it's like a few games in 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 like five days so like it's it's annoying and then so so it's just more minutes that are essentially meaningless for and you have to sort of play your good players because you it's a very big embarrassment if you don't win these stupid cups so it's (laughs) it's annoying and it's something that we shouldn't under undervalue heading into the biggest game of the season so far for Madrid in what is an absolute, it's not just a, a must find a result. It's a must win classical. I don't think, I can't remember one really in, in our collective experience with Madrid where it was quite this important for the Liga season for Madrid, not to, to even draw, like they need to win this match. So it's a bit wild that yeah, I can't... the first time we might see BBC together is, could be in the Club World Cup this season. It's staggering <laughs> that, that it, it's taken this long. And even then, we have no guarantee, but I, I, we also know that Zidane has completely got rid of this concept and idea that you know we must uh, ease Bale into it. No, like that, that ideology is over. Like we, we, We're going to rush him. We're going to get him into the game. If, if he's fit, we need to get a match fit for the classical. So, you know, it's very possible yeah. we see those three uh, this week. I, what I like, what I'm thinking about is why we haven't taken Vallejo on this trip. Like, I, no. I don't get it. Yeah. They didn't know. bring Vallejo. What's the point of that? Oh, I, I mean, it's it, infuriating. I didn't it, even know that. There's oh. no, there's there's absolutely no good reason for it. It it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I, I'm really just like at a loss. Like I have no idea. Well, this is it's strange. It's like it's Vallejo's so far down the pecking order in so many ways. And like he didn't make the Champions League squad. And we kind of and even though Real Madrid had 
qualified and they were guaranteed second place. And we, we justified that by saying, well, there's only so many selections, you know, so many places you can, you can kind of pick for the Champions League. It's limited substitutions. But even then, we didn't really, we didn't really feel right saying it. We were just trying to find some reason. Uh-huh. Um, are you sure, by the way? I think he's in mean, the he squad. Had... Really? Because yeah. I heard a bunch of people saying he wasn't. Maybe he was put in after um, we had injuries. He was in the Champions League squad, but I think he actually is in this squad. I'll double check it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, in, in that case, crisis. This alerted. is worth looking up because otherwise I'm going to be annoyed all day. Okay, so I'm looking. And, okay, so I'm looking at all, the one Lucas posted today. Oh, no, Vallejo was in there. So it must have happened. He must have been put in later because, okay. I, okay, either I just hallucinated or <laughs> I heard a bunch of people on Twitter asking why Vallejo wasn't in the squad. I think so, you hallucinated. What was okay, in your I, tonight? So I, I am. I, I apologize to all the listeners to the massive heart attack I gave to them um, <laughs> because Vallejo is in the squad and we didn't make that stupid a mistake. I thought I was taking crazy pills because I was like, oh my god, I should know this. Why, why don't I know this? So I was, I was freaking out and then, anyways... Crisis averted. Vallejo's there. He probably won't even yeah, play, but it, he's there. it would be too stupid. I mean, like, it's like the problem is that this season, like, the player rotation issues, like, this is totally the type of thing that I would have, exp- like, I could totally have seen that shit happening that way. And, and, we've, so. and we've made dumb roster decisions before the Cherishev thing, so, you know. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> 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 uh, so let's uh, let's 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 continue talking. I think another big standout from this match, and I think that it absolutely is worth saying. Uh, the the player that I was most worried about, man, Ashraf, came in and and really really stepped up. I thought he was good on essentially every facet of the match today. Um, I had previously criticized him on the offensive end. I thought he was extremely good. Obviously, bagging his first ever uh, senior team goal, which is awesome. I think he's the first uh, Moroccan player to score for Real Madrid, which is also awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like it's it's really good. I thought he had a great game. Yeah, I mean, I could have easily included him in um, my video. Uh, I I just wanted to focus on the center backs because they defended like in a slightly different way, right? But Ashraf. Ashraf showed his defensive intelligence today. I think I think versus Tottenham even when I, when everyone was like, okay, this is like Ashraf's first real test with Real Madrid. I think defensively he was all right. I think yeah. the question with him is his his decisions offensively. I mean versus Sevilla, I thought it was all right. I think there were some crossing decisions again where you know a player would cut back to want to receive a pass near the edge of the box and he'll put it to the center. But that that's going to come with time. It takes a lot of understanding between the fullback. And the complicated movements that you know Ronaldo and Benzema make in the box, um, but defensively he, he he's shown a lot of maturity this season, and he showed it versus Sevilla, and that's something that that puts a lot of confidence in a fan. It, you know, it is something we don't need to worry about, right? And and that's just something good to see. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I agree. even even when when the criticism came in against Tottenham, especially, you know, and Gabe and I agree. I don't know if you were in the podcast at that time, but defensively we had no issues with him and I, th- I think even in the games against you know the some of the really bad games that Real Madrid went through like one against Girona was another one he looked okay defensively he has tools um and he has IQ without the ball that's really high defensively and 
and that has has been huge because if you're not having a good game offensively, but you can bring that to the table, it's a massive asset regardless. Um, there were five, at least five examples in this game that I'm going to extract from my column just about his, just five really amazing reads defensively. He also, I just checked, he had five tackles in this game, far and away uh, the most uh, mm-hmm. in the game, and all of them just by good positioning. And they weren't like lunging, like trying to trying to get it like last hitch, just pure like... Uh, the right place, um, not not gambling, knowing where to be, and offensively, you know, his his we saw this pace. There was never a question of his pace. His pace was phenomenal too. Like this was, to me, out of all games we've seen it from Ashraf this season, to me this was the one game where you could say like Ashraf, you can he's arrived. Um, he has a long way to go. He's a lo- lot of things to kind of still perfect, but I was really impressed with him. Logan so, agrees. Uh, <laughs> with you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apologize. There's someone walking. I can see from yeah, my, the window where my studio is. He's uh yeah, he's in, in the mix. <laughs> um, uh yeah, I I just underlining that like we have never. I mean honestly, I've never really questioned his defensive acumen as a first team player, and and that's pretty cool for someone as young and interesting as him. Uh, it really is just coming down to offensive stuff. And it just, that's the, that's the place where he just doesn't seem to quite be on the level. But I, I agree on, I think that the, that that's a thing that comes with time and, and, and more training. Like when you're able to, to anticipate where your forwards are going to be and where they're going to want the ball. And then you got to be able to put it there with your crosses. That was the big issue in the Tottenham match where he just was over hitting his crosses a lot or, or like hitting him right into his defender, which is another you know, real negative. But yeah, you know, even in this match, I thought he stepped and showed a lot more. I mean, I also think that Sevilla probably one of the reasons that he got as many tackles as he did is that Sevilla did think, well, let's at least go at him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like he does seem to be the weak link in this defense, so they're going to try to go at him. But he really stepped up and showed that it's not that that was a mistake, but that that wasn't going to be an easy open door for them to to attack all night. Yeah, and I want to emphasize, right, like, uh, the, the coming with time type thing, like, it isn't easy, because a lot of people were mad over the season about, like, players not finding Ronaldo's runs, and it, it isn't easy for, for our, our players to deal with it the same way it isn't easy for opposition defenses to deal with it, because Ronaldo does it so quickly. Like, he'll, he'll be walking one way, he'll fake, and then suddenly he's in behind a defender, and it takes... You know, a special kind of play and a special kind of understanding between um, the attacker and the passer to understand and, and immediately react to what Ronaldo's doing. Because we've seen a lot of times with Asensio and Isco, they see what Ronaldo's done, but by the time they can they can make the decision to make the pass, it's too late. And the same thing will go for a fullback aiming for a forward in the box. So if it's difficult for world-class players like Asensio and Isco, it's definitely going to be difficult for someone as young as Ashraf. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, let's um, let's 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 take it up, move it up um, to the next line. The kind of uh, structure you know dictates that we now talk a little bit about the midfield, who I think played a generally really solid match. And I think it was very interesting to see, for example, Tony Kroos actually putting in a defensive shift from time to time, a real one, right? Like with a lot of energy. <laughs> uh, but also, like it was, it was cool to see finally what what you know this structure would look like as 
just kind of a classic four four two with Ronaldo as the second striker and facilitating play and and getting in and and whatnot. And that was that was an interesting interesting line. I mean, obviously, I think Asensio has finally. Uh, had the game that I was waiting for from him. He ha- he had a really really great match and he was everywhere and had a uh, obviously he was it was his brilliance that kind of created the second goal. So I don't know wh- who was your standout player guys from the from the midfield for Madrid today or yesterday. I mean it has to be Asensio for me. Like uh, is that Asensio again? Yeah yeah. I mean I, I to me he was probably the best player on the pitch like including everyone and. Uh, I mean, five key passes and just a constant threat. Sorry, six key passes. And he was the one for me to who broke the game, like I mentioned earlier. I thought Modric and Kroos were good. I don't know. Like, I, I honestly, my my opinion, I don't think Kroos was otherworldly defensively. And I still think, like, I'm amazed at how much energy conservation that he gets, he receives in terms of just still just, I, I don't know if I've ever seen him spread back on defense. And, and it was something that was really apparent to me just watching him from an overhead view, just watching him play and seeing where he is constantly. He's, um, a lot of a lot of things to me go unpunished defensively because he just he just is allowed to let his man sprint back and he he just gets to stay and, and just show us an outlet, which which could be by design given the way it kind of unfolds. But yeah, to me, Modric was also good. But Cruz was very good with the ball. He was he was very important in this game. There's no question, especially offensively. And but Asensio for me it was a standout. Lucas Vasquez played really well. Um, it's interesting in a game where you look at the the initial lineup and everybody's kind of foreshadowing this this cross festival of uh, just get the ball to Asensio, Lucas Vasquez, Marcelo, and Ashraf, and 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 sit back and and um, and and just be. Uh, blown away how how terrible it looks, but I think it it was really flipped, and it was it was fun to see a fresh scheme. It was fun to see Asensio and Lucas Vasquez drift centrally. It's, it was fun to see these cutting runs. And- All right, that was a little bit of technical issues. We're back. Um, apologies, Keon was. Uh, you were just saying uh, that Madrid's attack was a little bit more balanced and had a a lot less of that kind of shove it to the sides kind of mentality. Yeah. By the way, quick interjection. Interjection. Uh, my apologies because I don't have my mic with me uh, in Madrid, so I'm using a, just a, a, an Apple headphone mic. So apologies to all our amazing patrons who paid for my new mic, and they're not getting it uh, tonight in the next you know couple weeks. But um, I think I, I kind of fixed some of the issues. But you know the crossing for in this game, the overall um, the overall feeling from a lot of fans and like the anxiety that a lot of people had heading into the team, looking at that lineup and seeing the 4-4-2 and Lucas Vasquez starting on the right, and Asensio assuming he was on the left, maybe kind of having a free roll, uh, was that we were going. It was a foreshadowing to a plethora of crosses where the ball would just go out to Vasquez, Asensio, Marcelo, and Ashraf, and we would have to sit back and just watch a ton of crosses come in, um, probably inefficiently and probably be vulnerable in the counterattack. Um, it was it was nice because it was actually a complete uh, completely new offensive scheme. It was fresh. It was efficient in the counterattack. There were only eight crosses in this game, and the season average at the Bernabeu was thirty one, which is a staggering difference. Um, and not only that, the like the eight crosses that came in, the majority of them were actually very good quality, and it were, they were difficult for Sevilla to defend. It was unpredictable for Real Madrid. It was nice diversity in the attack. It was efficient. There was a lot of movement down the central channels. 
I think Asensio had a really yeah. nice balance of roaming, but also um, being dangerous on the flank. And, you know, Kroos and Modric also very surgical with their passing. So, I to me, that was a surprising tidbit from this game that really set the tone and was a needed sample size for Zidane to look at in terms of what yeah. could work Just on. Yeah, just as, a, as a, another option tactically, right? Like, yeah. to see uh, and to encourage teams to you know the the team to 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 kind of go after like even when they feel like they need to find a goal you don't always have to move around to the flanks and i think that's going to be especially important in matches with teams that have um <clears throat> a little more stuck in defenses than sevilla obviously uh and uh so let's um I, let's move oh go ahead Ellen. if i could just like because i i feel like there's an important caveat to add to that in that I think the reason we saw that kind of approach was because Sevilla was pressing so high and that once we broke into the final third, a lot of the times there, there just weren't as many defenders and we had you know, offensive superiority in a lot of areas and there was a lot of space to play good balls. So we could afford not to you know, uh, play the ball out wide and just cross because Sevilla's defense wasn't set and we had a lot of space to work the ball around in. Um, so I, I still I still think that, you know, even when Sevilla was in a more deep set defense, we did a good job of looking for alternate routes of penetration. But I, I'm I wouldn't be more than cautiously optimistic because even against like for example Atletico Madrid um last season when we played that counterattacking game and we broke through their high press, there weren't a lot of crosses there. Um but that was because of the type of defense we were playing against. I, I, I don't know how much this is gonna change when we play like a side that decides to sit deep and asks us to penetrate from from slower possession play, but I I do think that there were some positive signs with the way we diversified our approach. Well, it was Sevilla's high press in this game. I noticed, like especially on the first couple goal kicks, goal kicks that Kaylor took, um, Sevilla opted to press really high, and Real Madrid gave the ball away first couple times, and then after that they they kind of found some rhythm and comfort. And Kroos helped stretch the field a bit, and they did better. And they, if they started to, you know, again cautiously, as you say, cautiously, I felt like I was watching Real Madrid, um, the older version of Real Madrid from the Super Cup, who was comfortable coming out of the press. Uh, and then mm-hmm. Sevilla's mm-hmm. press kind of just fell apart after that. And I found like kind of like midway through the first half, Real Madrid were able to get out of it. And then, and I don't remember seeing it much from Sevilla after that, not efficiently anyway. So. Maybe, you know, also to consider that the, the team also had a lot of press-resistant players. Everyone from Vallejo uh, to Kroos and Modric and, uh, you know, Asensio showing as an outlet once it got there. And once it got to that point, Sevilla had just crumbled and they, they weren't able to defend mm-hmm. the counterattack with all the space that was left. Uh, so let's just finalize, finally just... Uh, uh, you know, end this discussion with just a, just another tip of the hat to Cristiano Ronaldo, who was incredibly, incredibly you know, dangerous and clinical. Just a great game from Cristiano. And I know we're going to talk about this, but Karim Benzema also, I thought, not as bad a game as, <laughs> you know, some of the people would uh, have you believe. But uh, I'm interested in, in what your take. I mean, we're going to talk about it, too, but I'm interested in what your take about um, the two strikers was. I'm Om, if you want to go first. 
I mean, I I was I was fine with both of their performances. I was impressed. I was I was really really happy when I saw Ronaldo played through on goal and he was in a one versus one opportunity where he had to you know he had to decide what he was going to do on the fly, how he's going to finish that, and he did it decisively because that tells me all right his confidence is back because it, he missed like two or three one versus one chances earlier in the season and. As it always is with him and most other finishers when they're missing those chances, it's down to indecision. It's, it's them second-guessing where they're going to place the ball, and they either fire it straight at the keeper or they miss. And I was really, really happy to see that because, like I said, it tells me that Ronaldo's back, essentially. And just his all-round game was good. He was getting involved. Um, he wasn't afraid <clears throat> to take players on. And I thought Benzema was good because he complimented you know, Ronaldo well. He showed us an outlet to break the press he was unlucky not to score on a header. Um, this isn't one of the games where I, I think it's like it makes sense to pick on Benzema because we won five nil and Benzema was clearly a key part in facilitating that. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting to con- to compare the the performances of Benzema and Mayoral, um, you know, from Dortmund in here. Despite Mayoral scoring against Dortmund, I thought I thought the team would have just been fine without him in that game. Because he touched the ball less than Kaylor did, and and you look at Benzema's involvement in this game, it's like it's way more involved than Mayoral was against Dortmund, for example. I still, you know, obviously between the two, Ronaldo would just have because Ronaldo looked looked really good, and he was efficient, he was scoring, he was happy, and he was involved. I still still wondering when we get to the point where we realize that we can just play Ronaldo at the striker. Again, you look at the passing maps, and Benzema's not really heavily involved. Like, yeah, we can we can talk about his space and the creation you make, mm-hmm. and the space creation and stuff. I still, I'm still waiting for the day we just pack the midfield, reinforce the defensive transition, have an extra binding agent in attack, an extra, uh, you know, an extra support for Ronaldo. I'm still waiting for the day where we just kind of stick to that. I, I don't think we'll ever see it, but to me, like, can you look at the, well, I mean, the eye test? We still. We still, I think we can, you know, again, I, I just don't know how much of the sample size against Sevilla we, you know, we extract and we, we implement. But I, I just think that the team can still get away with even better performance and results if we, if we opt to play Ronaldo up top. Not that this, I'm, I'm being really unreasonable right now saying this in the 5-0. I'm just, I'm just like kind of. I mean, hmm. I would, I would, I would mention just, just because, um, like I, I'm not trying to like shill or whatever, but like it's it's um one of the things I think is interesting is that we have seen a lot of success when Ronaldo doesn't just play at striker, like where he is allowed to drift to the wing and where he drifts back into the center. And you know, one of the things that's what I was trying to point out in the last show, Ken, about the the match against Dortmund, right, was that uh, Cristiano like actually was able to move out to the wing and and cut around wide and, and drop deep and into and, and even play some defense and regain the ball a couple of times. And in matches where he was at the sole nine, I feel like his movement would be restricted a little bit more than maybe is, especially at this point, his career is best. Maybe later where he really does have a lot more. I mean, the guy is an animal. Like he is the most physically fit person on Real Madrid at, at even at, you know, 32. But look, I, I just, I wonder whether it's smart to like box him into that role and maybe like giving him more of a roaming role is actually a really helpful thing. And that's why like having Benzema up there to draw defenders out and whatnot is, is useful. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I don't think you're wrong. I think um, we know that's true. We know that you know last time we heard him speak about it anyway. He doesn't like playing as a nine, but to me, I think like you know, too bad. Just figure it out. You're you're amazing at it. You're probably the best <laughs> number nine in the world if you just play that position. But I think the point is that if he's if he's a number nine, he doesn't need to be a stagnant nine like a, a traditional nine. He can still do that drifting and roaming, um, and I think we have right. seen him do that before. I I just think that. I mean, this this will also this kind of this um, this will change a little bit if Gareth Bale ever comes back healthy, um, because he is so good at getting Ronaldo involved and feeding the ball to Ronaldo that um, I think that his presence alone would help shift um, Ronaldo into a position where he can take advantage of being you know a nine. Yeah. But then again, you know, yeah, Bale can no, do that no. even if Ronaldo's not enough. But I'm just saying, I think the presence of Bale would help. <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right. Um, unless either of you have any more things from your notes that you want to jump in on, uh, I think we can go ahead and take some questions. Let's do it. All right. Um, let's just go right in. So um, just kind of a technical uh, question here, I think. Anton Hackberg asks us, um, does XG add chances into the equation that the referee did a mistake on? For example, a chance that was deemed offside that in reality wasn't, or like the situation against Bilbao where Ronaldo had a huge opportunity to score, but the referee shut down the play because Modric was fouled. So I, I don't, I can't say exactly, but I would, I'm almost certain that uh, XG does not count chances like that because they aren't chances, right? Like it, it, it just doesn't matter because they would never have counted because you know, we don't have referees. I mean, the referees are actors that prevent chances, right? <laughs> so, like, in if they don't subtract, if they, the only way that would make sense is if you would subtract chances where the referees made the mistake, but there was a goal scored or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it, I just don't think XG even messes around at all with correct or incorrect refereeing decisions. No, it it doesn't, and. I, I was what it does though. So like, I don't want to give the impression that expected goals doesn't take into account some kind of situation where you think, oh, that should be a shot and it isn't. And and there's an important differentiation to make here because like recently there's been a kind of like, um, I wouldn't say rift, but there's been an argument in the expected goals community about how it should be calculated. And now there's two versions of doing it. So there's the opta version. Um, which has been the most common version, and, and it's where it started from, which only counts shots as its only event. And then there's the Stratabet version, which counts shots, and it also counts situations where you're, there's almost always going to be a shot. So, like, if you you know you play across across the six yard box, and the player just completely he swings his foot at it and it just misses it, that is counted as a as a chance in that situation. <laughs> it's not counted as a shot, but it's counted as a chance. And so. It, it, it So basically the Stratabet version also takes into account other things like defensive pressure and stuff. It takes into account situations that are, are, are not as concrete as, you know, it, it kind of takes into account like more subjective situations. Um, so I, I felt like that was worth putting that out there. because That is. That's not what Anton is like specifically talking about. He is asking a larger question about what what expected goals takes into account. Right, but I, I agree. Um, that's that is actually really useful, and that actually explains some of the difference between um, to the two main um, expected goal people that that put their charts out right after games on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. 
11, Tegan 11, and Mike Mike Cayley, who does uh, his work for, uh, I think, ESPN and 538 and whatnot. He's he's very smart, but I think he also uses the um, – I don't re- actually really know what the di- whether which so, one uses which. I'm pretty so sure – Cayley, Cayley and 11, Tegan 11, they use Opta. So okay. the, the Stratabit people are – are kind of lesser known at this point because they're they're coming through with that data and like they don't have as many followers because they're starting with the newer method. But like there's right. people like Ray Hamill, Ashwin Ashwin Rahman, if I'm saying his last name correctly, who I think uses Stratabit data. So like um, there are guys out there who who use that formula instead. But most of the if you're on Twitter and you're following the stuff, most of the well known guys you follow use the often. Yeah. So wait. So why don't you? Can you just say the at um, uh, title or the the people's the names uh, so that we can find them uh, and follow them for so we can see the difference between the two. Uh. Okay. I gotta find it. I mean, maybe I'll say it at the end. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um. But yeah. Anyway. So that's a. It's an interesting question. We've been dealing with a lot of expected gold stuff recently because for whatever reason, over the last couple of weeks, like the greater soccer media has been discussing it a lot. And it's partially because uh, Jose Mourinho, like big get, by the way, for the expected goals community, made some comment about it um, after some United game a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, yeah, and so then everyone just kind of had a meltdown, all the kind of like gut instinct, you know, there is no good statistics. <laughs> People were very upset about that. Um, so that's why you're hearing so much about it right now. Um, all right, Christopher McCormick uh, asked us, what exactly did Zidane learn from this game that he could apply consistently? What did you guys make of the midfield on defense? What were the, li- the there were times that Modric and Kroos were dropping into the box with Ronaldo and Benz in midfield? I, I, so, I didn't notice the Modric and Kroos uh, dropping into the box as much. Uh, maybe I missed something. I, you know, I, to me, like they were they were still very much you know deeper positions while Asensio was a bit higher at the three. And although Modric, I think, had some really nice combinations on the right flank, you know, higher up the pitch, but I think for the most part they were a bit deeper. But I think in terms of what he could apply consistently, um, a more diversified attack. Um, the counterattack was very efficient. I think um, Modric, I, I think one thing we learned is also like, I don't know who, who I was talking to about this. I think, I don't know if it was one of you guys or someone else, but, um, you know, we often talk about um, I guess the what do we do if you know Casemiro is not there, and any time we've been forced to play without Casemiro and kind of like a double pivot, but you know it kind of morphs between a midfield trio and a double pivot, um, and in game kind of changes and, and people kind of they're kind of interchangeable pieces. But any time we've had to do that, we we look pretty good, and you know I think and I think defensively, uh, there are definitely ways to to mask Casemiro's absence, whether it's with possession, um, whether it's with the counter press, whether it's yeah. with you know with a packed midfield and and kind of just you know Kovacic helping out, Asensio or Isco helping out. I think all of those things are learning points. I don't know because in the past we've gotten excited about one game where we're like, oh my god, you know, we're blown away by this. Why can't we see this you know constantly throughout the season? And we just don't really see it again. Um, and there's like actually a question coming up about this, which is interesting. I think we'll get right. to. But you know, I I think some of the things that he can apply consistently may not be applicable. Also, because we're not going to be playing uh, a dead Sevilla every week, and that's that's another thing. All uh, right. I would also know. I mean, 
for whatever whatever it's worth like you know as ohm said at the beginning of the of the show how the kind of more slightly more rigid structure allows you to pass out of a press a little bit easier and and maybe facilitates some of that direct counterattacking you know that that kind of knowing that there's going to be someone on that flank or in that pocket of space most of the time allows players to kind of anticipate and create their you know, know where they want to go with the ball as soon as they get it <clears throat> which is a little bit harder to do with a system based on one person having complete freedom and then other people kind of trying to mask that deficiency of of space when that person isn't where they were supposed to be uh that that is one thing that i would i would hope zidane at least kind of goes into uh you know that an analysis that includes like hey like why did we get some of the impressive counterattacks that we did and it's because the players were in position not just to intercept the pass but also to release someone that from a place that they knew they were going to be um going forward uh ohm do you have anything to add uh, no, I think that was a pretty solid assessment of of what I was going to say. Um, okay, so Mark Reedy asks us, um, did this setup remind you of uh, Moose, uh, Mourinho's Madrid? Uh, strong defensive shape and building counters. Is this 5 nothing as important as the 3-0 against Atletico last year? Um, I don't know if it reminded me of, of Mourinho's Madrid because he had a really, really specific way of playing with Madrid. Um, and I could talk about that for hours, but um, I, I think the counters were similar, but I think they were similar because counters are similar to counters. Um, it, I think I think you could have made more of the comparison if we played in a 4-2-3-1 and had an attacking midfielder in the center, and Ronaldo was who he was back then. But I think the idea of, of, of kind of 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 having players in position up the field and having outlets to release them quickly and attack the back line and, and, and play decisive through balls through the opposition defense. I think that's what's similar to, but, but like structure wise and like some finer tactical points, I don't think it's necessarily that simple uh, that similar. And I, I don't know if I'd say this is as important as a three, no against Atletico because that three, no against Atletico knocked them out of the title race. If he's referring to the, the league match, um, I mean, but I still think this match is this five 0 win is important because it's that flood of goals that we needed, right? We we got luck going our way, and it feels like that explosion that we've been talking about that will come. And and we we reference expected goals on this earlier that how we weren't finishing at the rate that we should be. Well, now it feels like that that we're finally here, and that players are going to start finding the back back of the net regularly. I think the right. parallel you could take from the three 0 uh against Atletico last season is that that game was November last season at the Calderon. And up until that point, there was a lot of criticism surrounding Real Madrid for not playing well. And that was the one game where everyone was like, oh, if this is the best Real Madrid have played all season, this is the first time they've actually looked legitimately good and not just lucky to win. And mm-hmm. in, I guess kind of this game against Sevilla had the same vibe where this is like best we've looked in a long time. Um arguably since the Super Cup, although like I think one of the one of the journalists asked Zidane after the game, is this was that the best half Real Madrid played this season? He said no. Um, and he said it was only our best in terms of goals, but he thought he thought at least at the very least Real Madrid were as good against Dortmund and Sociedad in the first half, if not better. Um, but I think overall there was in terms of 
kind of where we were in the season and the slump that we're in and where this game might take us to another level and and help us see that extra gear the team might hit in the springtime, I think in that sense the parallel can be drawn a little bit. I think that's fair, Ken. Um, Jimmy Obeyed asks us, uh, all right, so, no, it's a great game for the boys today. Uh, this was the team we had hoped for after the complete destruction of Barca at the beginning of the season. As a disclaimer, I would like to say that uh, Isco is one of the best players in the world, but judging from today's performance, I sincerely believe that his unlimited freedom is more hindrance than help. You can see that by how comfortable Kroos and Modric looked. I even believe that his free role even hindered Ronaldo to a certain extent. What do you guys think should we limit Isco's roaming ability to strictly the final third? I mean, yeah, we discussed this before, right? I think we all agree that his unlimited freedom thing, it's not something that's benefiting the team overall. Um, in some instances, it is. I think it's, Isco enjoys it a lot, but I think it would be better if um, he, he was restricted to the final third to answer the, the question directly because it's it's a lot of times, right, like it's those unnecessary movements where he comes to receive the ball from like Ramos or Varane and Kroos or Modric is already there and you're like, well, what's the point of that? You know, who who is taking Isco's place up the field in between the lines? So, yeah, I think, you know, I think we covered that a lot and that, idea is that yeah i mean the roaming should be restricted to an extent because the team just isn't able to adjust adjust to it well enough um yeah i think you're right i mean i don't know how many times we can talk about this i, I think you and i don't try to uh, talk about this as much as we could last week i mm-hmm. think Gabe wasn't here but we also tried to clarify that it's not necessarily east coast well and you know Clearly, Isco is an amazing player. Like we have no doubts about this. It's not like the same people like a few weeks ago were just going ape shit about how good he was. <laughs> and it kind of, especially like it, it peaked against Italy in the World Cup qualifiers, where he was unbelievable, he was on another level. Um, last season, you know, he was amazing in, in the diamond. I think the difference was that this season there were a couple things that, that are different. One is that. Real Madrid press hasn't been as good. The passing out of the back hasn't been as good. Um, the decision making hasn't been as good, and and also Isco himself, um, he's a bit. Um, it, it seems like Modric, Casemiro, and 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 Kroos are kind of in this stagnant, confused, uh, almost. I guess almost in, not immobile, but. They, they're kind of in the stagnant line horizontally and, and Isco is kind of going wherever he, uh, he wants and, and that has dominant effects defensively because the team doesn't know where he is in any defensive sequence, he's always in different place. I think if you want to talk about this game, Asensio, Asensio had a nice balance against Sevilla where he was dangerous on the left and his roaming was, like, yeah. he was always there as an outlet. Like, just like, go look back at 11 Tegan I actually never know how to actually pronounce it, how, whatever it is, 11 Tegan, Tegan, Tijin, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> passing that he puts up, uh, it's very clear, like, Asensio does a really great job of providing an outlet and channeling through. Because a lot of times when Modric and Kroos were looking to break the press, they had the, the, the final stage um, to get out of it was to find Asensio as the outlet, and Sevilla were completely broken at that point. I think Asensio yeah. did a really good job to, to provide himself in the right moments in the game in the right mm-hmm. spaces to kind of help yeah. bind the team. Yep. Eleven Tegan. 
Tegan? Who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Unless he, she is going to come on here and complain. I think we can keep pronouncing this the right way or whatever the hell we want. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to add to that. I think you guys are both right. So, By the way, none, none of it really matters. But like the players that was, I couldn't think of when I was talking about Sevilla, who they lost, one was Vitolo. Uh, yes. And then Sami Nasri was another big, big one. And, who I just and, and their manager, of course. Yeah, right. And the uh, Shay Kateri asked us, um, we've been saying for a while that even though we didn't get the result, we showed a lot of improvements. Today we showed that we have been right. I just wish Benzema would have scored. This team looks nothing like the team from a month ago. They were comfortable possessing and carrying the ball and taking calculated risks in passing. I think Cristiano's Ballon d'Or gave him a confidence boost. Um, my two criticisms are, one, Zidane should have brought in Ceballos and Llorente during the halftime, and the last sh- sub should have been Mayoral. It's not like Isco is getting enough playing time. It's not like Isco isn't getting enough playing time. Mayoral could use more, though. All right, let's just quickly deal with that. We haven't talked about the subs. Um, the second half was Madrid on cruise control, folks. I mean, it, it, and it, I got to tell you, I thought both Ceballos and Llorente looked good. I, I don't think it's a absurd criticism <laughs> to say that they could have come on way earlier given the scoreline but you know making halftime substitutions is but is it, it does have two kind of implicit things that come with it first of all it, it half you know halftime substitutions also you know indicate either that you're looking for a big change or that you feel like you've got the game locked up and want to want to uh, you know hang on to your players and that can lead the other team to do stuff that's like <laughs> Not super smart. I, I mean, look, I, I think it would have been fine to bring him on, but I understand why you wait 10 minutes into the second half to bring on someone. So I'll just add that. Um, one of the most heartbreaking things in my life was when Marco Ciorante started warming up, I was like the only one in the stadium who noticed, and I was like getting really giddy. And then when he was the, <laughs> when he was the first sub who, to come on, the burnabout booed. And I, and it wasn't a thing about Marcos personally. It was because Isco wasn't the first sub, and they started booing and they started chanting Isco's name. And <laughs> oh. like of all the things they could have done, like booing Zidane in the past, Raúl in the past, yeah. Bale, Ronaldo, this was the worst thing they've ever done. <laughs> I just I would I just want to add that I would have booed as well because Marcos Urente sucks. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you're fired. <laughs> uh, let's see. The second point, except for Marcelo's cross uh, for Benzema, I don't understand why this team, which was second to none in set pieces and crossing, can't do either. Very happy and very extremely impressed by by Yeko, but where's Bale? Um, all right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really agree with the criticism of the crossing. I mean, Madrid has hit the post a lot <laughs> from crosses and they've scored set. In fact, the first goal in this match was a set piece goal. So I don't really know what's I mean, going on I, with that. I think over the season, we, we've we only scored like two set piece goals. No, no, no. That's that's right. That's right. But they've both been in the last couple of weeks. So it's, yeah, okay, it's part, yeah. partial with the with the recovery of the side and their kind of uh, uptake in playing. And Madrid's crossing, it's not a shock to Madrid's crossing has looked toothless for the last month because their best crosser arguably has been on the sideline in Bale. And he, you know, we were forgetting how good he is at putting those balls in 
exactly the right place for the players that he has played with now for four years and knows so well, who both happen to also be extremely good at heading those balls in, particularly Cristiano Ronaldo, but also Benzema, who's not a, you know not bad with his head. <laughs> uh, so, I, I mean, I think there are ways to explain some of it, but I agree that it's a surprise. Like, there's also a surprise that, Ren- uh, that Ramos hasn't scored yet this season after everything. I mean, we can blame Ohm for that, I guess, but like... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but no, like, I think that all that stuff will come along at least with just the basic idea that they're a team that scored that many isn't necessarily a huge, like that, that may be an outlier, but the, going from a team that scored a ton on set pieces and on crosses to a team that hasn't scored very much, you, you have to have a lot of outlier on both directions. So I think there'll be regression oh, to some shit. sort of, you know, I think someone's, a. Yeah, I gotta go. That's a fucking fire alarm, guys. Leave this in. This will be fun anyway. All right. We're definitely just in bio. That was good, Matt. You for criticizing your own. Hope you safe. That was too good, though. Too good. All right. Solomon Ortiz. Hey, Keanu Gabe. Well, you got us. Only us this time. What is your gut instinct right now if you were to make a betting call? Does Eden Hazard come to Real Madrid next summer? Uh, my favorite player I want to see play for Real Madrid. Um, let's see. Out of all the rumored... All right, that's the first. Let's just answer that question first. Uh, to be quite honest, man, I think that that's... Um, there's definitely a chance. I think it depends a little bit on how the season goes for Madrid and whether they feel like they need to make some big changes in the squad. Probably how the season goes for Madrid, but also how the season goes for Chelsea. I, don't, I mean, I don't know yes. exactly what ha- goes to Hazard's mind and, and kind of what motivates him. And also how well he plays in the World Cup, because we know that Madrid are really obsessed with getting True. the standout player from World Cups. True. Um, yeah, I mean, so we'll feeling things on transfers are so like hit or miss. I, I mean, my my gut feeling is that I don't know whether it's Hazard or somebody else, but my gut feeling is that I don't think we'll see both Bale and Benzema here next year. That's just a gut feeling, which could be proven wrong. But um. I actually do agree. I think in my gut feeling, and whoever, whoever really knows, but my gut feeling is it'll be Benzema who makes way, given his poor form this year. And it's easier to explain away injuries than it is to explain away, I think, poor form, and especially in a player who's now 30, whereas Bale is still younger. Um, but yeah, I mean, who knows? And then adding someone like Azard, possibly. I think it's possible Madrid will go for a striker, like a more pure striker also. I, I just don't know. Uh, so the second question, but yeah, I think it's definitely possible. Um, and especially if he has a standout campaign with Chelsea and and has a standout World Cup, especially. But um, I think it's also possible that he does both of those and Madrid decide that they, he's too much money or whatever. Um, all right, out of all the rumored names out there being linked, for a new attacking line next year. Who is your desired one to two transfers that you want to see play for Madrid? Who do you think Florentino and Zidane will get? Um, yeah, uh, so this is a tough question, I think, uh, because what I'd really like to see happen is for B- Bale to get well and just be himself for the second half of the season so that he locks in that spot, because I really do think that Madrid's attacking line is just, I think it's just manifestly better with him in it. And Madrid has played better with him in it in the lineup this season too. Like when he's been on the pitch, like Madrid just seemed to have more bite in everything they're doing. So I do really enjoy, you know, him, but 
I don't know, Kian, who, I mean, who, who's on your list? I, I have a couple of names, but some of them are more realistic than others. Um, we could bring Colin Trout back from them. Oh, that's it. That's all that we, yeah, I mean, like, good point. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, um, <clears throat> again, these transfer things, like, I, I, it's so hard to talk about these things for next summer because we're so far removed from it right now. Yeah. We're so, sorry, we're so far away from it right now. We just have no idea how the season will pan out. And a lot of these things are dictated about how the season will go. And as we've yeah. known from previous seasons... No, they, they really are. Yeah. As we've known from previous seasons, also the way that Real Madrid starts the, the, the season is not indicative of how they will finish the season either. Um, but my also, you know, we no. kind of know that <laughs> the team will probably bolster the depth up front with Ronaldo aging, Benzema's dropping in form, Bale's health. You know, it almost seems certain to me that somebody will come. In terms of wish list... Uh, it's hard, and you know, there's a lot of great players in the world. We know that, you know, we have our favorites. We loved Mbappe last season. And Hazard's a great player. Um, it's easier for I, me to kind of predict what will happen long term in a weird way. Like I, I kind of almost, almost feel like Mbappe would eventually come like during his peak. I kind of almost know that Odegaard will take one, one or two more loan spells and then come back into the team. Yeah, uh, as he's agree. trying to kickstart his career. So, you know, we have kind of those ideas in our head, but in terms of who the signs yeah. are, it's, it's really difficult, I find. Yeah, I my feeling is uh, they. I agree entirely with both points, but, I mean, like, in terms of names, like, we've, we've all the people that Madrid have been linked to are possibilities, I think. Um, I like Werner. Um, I like, you know, I, I mean, look, I think that Madrid and Neymar are going to keep making googly eyes at each other for a while, and I think there is a... I, I'd put it at 30% chance that Neymar plays for Real Madrid before his career is over. I know that's strange to say, but... 30 is high. I mean, yeah, but they've been... Conceivable. That's, the thing. that's what I'm saying, man. I think they've been making googly eyes at each other. That's why, like, these rumors keep popping up about a potential move. Like, there's they're not just being fabricated, is what I'm saying. Like, I think that, like, this is the kind of, you know, thing that could happen later in his career. I mean, obviously, a couple years down the lo- down the line, but, you know... I also think it's, I mean, like, I definitely see Mbappe also. Um, I think it could be also that Madrid make a move for a more established striker who they feel like would just kind of start. Um, I think, like, for example, Lewandowski has always, like, made no secret of his interest in Madrid. And, and uh, Aubameyang has also. What? I think like, both him and Aubameyang are, you know, on the wrong side of the other peak, I think. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I'm just saying that, like, maybe they feel like they want to go back to that model. Or, I mean, look, who knows? There there could be a move for someone from, from England. Uh, I just, I, I, I don't know. Um, I wish I had a better answer because I feel like we should. But it's just, honestly, too early in the season to have a, a thought about exactly how this is going to go because so many ways the season could turn out to the point where if Madrid does a three-peat as Champions League champions, which is, you know, not... Super likely, but definitely not out of the question. Um, then I don't think that there's going to be much change to this roster. Like that, you will see maybe a young striker brought in, but I don't think someone that they're going to expect to start. So, um, Nick DeStefane, fucking finally, <laughs> this is the de- de- definition of a thank God game. It's games like this that make me want to see Asensio in the starting lineup every game. Also thought it was Big Ben's best game of the year. Does this game prove that we need to usher in the rotation policy we saw more of last year? Um, <clears throat> also, who was your favorite player or player of the match? Thanks for everything. 
Uh, yeah, it was definitely a thank God game. It was about time Madrid really suited up and did something like that. Uh, also, yeah, I mean, good to see Asensio really kicked back into form after his injury. Um, player of the match for me, Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, he was everywhere. I think Asensio is definitely in with the shout, though, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's about right, I think. Um, Ronaldo Asensio were probably the two standouts. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, the the def- the, we, we mentioned the good. defenders. Yeah. Uh, Ashraf was very impressive, like, all that. All right, I think that about wraps it up. Keon, you're going to be in Madrid for a couple more weeks, so we're going to have more access to the club. Very excited to read everything that you're writing out there. Um, I yeah, We'll be back for your midweek show. I guess we'll be talking about the Club World Cup. Yes. Um, yeah, so send in fun questions. Like, oh because we gotta talk it, I mean, it sucks. The Club World I Cup sucks. Check the time zone stuff and like what time I have to wake up, but that's another headache. You'll, it'll probably be in your. I mean, whatever. It's gonna be in the evening for you. They're playing Al Jazeera from, I mean, from Egypt in there. For I didn't even like that's. I just literally. I'm pretty sure that's how what it is. Not the news network. It's the the club. So. Yeah. I'd be surprised uh, playing a bunch of uh, news anchors. <laughs> a bunch of reporters. <laughs> The Al Jazeera five-a-side squad versus Real Madrid. Um, No, okay. So we will be back for your midweek show for all our patrons. And if not, we'll catch you next weekend. Uh, Until then, a la Madrid. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile. The most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.